listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. number of officials. Shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Welcome back to the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heinches, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. It's not only the midpoint of the year, but it's also an eventful time in the economy, and we have a lot to discuss today. And I'm here with the Atlanta Fed's Dominic Purviance, a subject matter expert in the bank's supervision, regulation, and credit division. And we're going to discuss housing affordability and, and more broadly, the housing market, which has seen a lot of action in recent months. Well, actually, always sees a lot of action, but in particular recently. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, Dominic. It's good to have you back in the studio. Thanks. It's good to be here. Um, Dominic, higher home prices and higher interest rates have have combined to lead to record declines in home ownership affordability. How would you describe recent affordability trends versus, say, what we've seen in recent years? Yeah, so our recent calculation of housing affordability shows that uh, affordability declined by 25% or over 25% in our latest number, and that's the sharpest decline on record. That's remarkable. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, as you said, it's a combination of higher home prices and rapidly rising interest rates since the beginning of the year. And so you know, nationally it's declined by 25%, but you know when you look at specific submarkets, obviously there's been sharper declines or less sharp declines in some in some cases, but nationally, we're seeing significant changes in affordability. Yeah, well, we'll touch on the Southeast specifically in a bit, so keep that in mind. Affordability is a measure of what a median income household would need to spend as a share of its income to own a median price house. Uh, by that metric, where does affordability sit in your view? Housing is considered affordable if the median income household spends less than 30% of their annual income on housing costs. And right. housing costs are, in our calculation, includes the principal interest payment, taxes, and insurance. So whatever you pay for the year shouldn't exceed 30% of your income. Our latest number in, in April is 41.2% of annual income needed to afford the median price house. And so that's that's pretty extraordinary yeah. in terms of um, affordability. So nationally, affordability is, is very low based on our measure. And I will say that, you know, we're we're always looking backwards because of how we get data. So we already know that home prices in May and June have increased and, and suspect prices to increase again in July and also rates are a little bit higher than they were the last time we did this calculation. So we expect when we get our new numbers in uh, for May and June, uh, we expect affordability to be even lower than it is now. Wow. Well, let me ask you, is, is declining home ownership affordability uh, having a significant impact on housing demand both, both regionally and nationally? Uh, and is there a difference between what we see in the Southeast and across the, the broader U.S.? Well, the impact on demand is going to take some time to fully play out. Obviously, if you uh, if you have if you make the median income and you're you're going to get approved for mortgage, higher interest rates mean that you may not be able to afford your monthly payments. And so, what we are seeing is there is interest in buying houses for a variety of reasons. People are 
you know, getting married or to start a new job, but they're being priced out of the market simply because they can't afford it. And um, that's added to sort of the strain on demand that's just created by people having a difficulty finding a house because inventory is so low. And so if you look at any measure that tracks the interest in the consumer to buy homes, it's, it's at historically low levels. And that's a combination of a lack of affordability and just the lack of availability of, of inventory to buy. Now, in terms, in terms of regionally, so the, the Southeast tends to lag some of the national trends because we are a region that people tend to move to. And so we're able to, can, and because we're relatively, even though affordability has declined here as well, we're relatively more affordable than the regions where people are coming from. And so if you look at recent affordability activity in some of our markets, we've seen sharper declines than what we've seen at the national level because, you know, demand is, is stronger and inventories are, are tight. So, for example, in markets like uh, Tampa and Nashville, affordability has declined by 35% year over year. And, and that's mostly because we've seen pretty sharp increases in, in home prices in, in both of those markets. And they are amongst the, the top five in the country in terms of uh, the decline in affordability. Yeah. Well, you touched on something interesting. Um, as you know, affordability depends on where you sit at the time. People coming here from California or New York don't think we have an affordability problem. They see great bargains. But, right. You know, I, I guess, you know, from our regional point of view, it's it's, it's a different matter. Yeah. I, so what, what ends up happening is if you're selling a home from California, New York, you had a lot of equity in that home, you can come here and and pay cash for a home. But if you are a local and you need to get a mortgage, it becomes a little bit tougher for you. And so some of the, some of the things that we're seeing is, you know, it's pretty early. A lot of what's happened since the beginning of the year, people anticipated rates going up. And so a lot of people push forward their, their buying decision. And so if you look at sales and days on market and all of those, those, those kind of leading indicators, they still show a very tight market and they show demand is pretty strong. But what we're starting to see now is um, uh, throughout the pandemic, the sales to list price, that means what the home actually sold for compared to what it was listed for was over 100%, meaning that people were paying higher prices when the house actually sold than what it was listed for. And that's an indication of a very tight market and, and high demand. Now we're starting to see homes that are listed experiencing some drops in price. And so that's a very early indication that, you know, people putting their home on the market aren't getting the same price or at least not the level of demand that they were getting previously. And they're trying to adjust their pricing expectations. And so th that'll take some time to, to work through. But it is an indication that, yeah, demand is lessened because of uh, the, the lack of affordability and some of the other strains that we're seeing in the economy. Right. You know, I know this is probably not a, a metric that is tracked formally, but, you know, I read a lot about cash-only offers, the bidding wars you referred to with large amounts over asking price being paid. It seems like I hear about that more than I used to. Is, is that your observation? Yeah, I think the two things that are driving that are investors that typically pay cash. When you pay cash, you can close quicker. There are a lot of people that they're putting their homes in the market. They only want cash buyers because they can they can close quicker. 
Um, so a lot of that is investor activity. Investor activity, particularly in the Southeast and, and certainly in a market like Atlanta, has certainly increased over the past couple of years. And investors are a larger share of the market than they used to be. But the other driver of that is, of course, people moving from other areas that have a lot of equity. And so, if again, if you are selling a house in, in New York and you you know, so you own that house for 30 years, you take all that cash out, you're able to come to Atlanta. And if you're competing against, you know, several other buyers that are making offers, you can offer above the asking price and pay cash and and not necessarily have to deal with uh, having to get an appraisal. And so that's one of the drivers for this, this, this upward pressure on home prices we've seen. Right. You know, I, I know we often talk about the Southeast like it's a monolith which is not really accurate at all. And I'm sure there's a wide variation in affordability even within the region. Uh, I wonder if you could give some examples as a frame of reference to show the variation regionally. Right. So just relatively speaking, median home prices in the Southeast tend to be just below the national level. And so nationally, the median home prices you know, somewhere above 400000 today. And so we tend, to, in our region, we tend to be lower than that. So it's, it's one of the reasons why, even though home prices have increased nationally, the Southeast still gets demand because we're relatively more affordable. But you're right, it's not a, a monolith. So I mentioned uh, Nashville and Tampa as an example of markets where we've seen a pretty strong collapse in, in affordability. Both of those markets, home prices increased by over 28% year over year in April. And, and that's one of the, the, the sharpest increases in prices we've seen in the nation. If you compare to other markets like Miami and South Florida tends to be more expensive, the higher median home price. But we're not seeing the level of appreciation in a market like Miami that we're seeing in Tampa or Orlando or, or, or Nashville or Atlanta. And then some of our other smaller markets like your in New Orleans or Birmingham, um, not seeing as much activity. Most of that's because you know the markets that are seeing pretty strong upward growth in, in home prices, and, and are generally markets that are seeing a surge of in migration of people coming from other markets. And so, big markets like in Atlanta or Nashville or Tampa that are drawing buyers from all over the country tend to have stronger demand and stronger price appreciation than your smaller regions. Right. Dominic, you noted that the uh, primary causes of, of the decline in affordability have been in rapid price appreciation and also the rise in interest rates since the beginning of the year. And I wonder if I could get you to, to break that down. Um, can you talk just about the rate of price appreciation in recent months and and what has been the effect of rising rates on, on home affor- affordability? I know there's a, those are two questions, but I want you to treat them separately. Okay. So in terms of what we're seeing in, in home price appreciation since the beginning of the year, so appreciation started to slow at the beginning of the year. In recent months, uh, it started to accelerate again. So we're not at the peaks that we saw last year. Last year, home prices uh, were up nationally at like record levels, over 20% nationally. And it dropped below 20 at the beginning of this year. And then over the past few months, uh, the level of appreciation is back up to 17%. It's the last number we have. Um, and I expect that to, to continue to, to, to grow higher. And what's driving that is what I mentioned before. It's sort of that pull forward effect. A lot of people wanted to, to get in before interest rates went higher. 
And so you had a lot more demand at the beginning of the year than usual, and that pushed the the rate of home prices, uh, the rate of home price appreciation a little bit higher. Right. And so if you look at the sales sort of match that trend. So sales were positive, and then now coming out of the, sort of in the middle of the peak selling season and coming out of it, we're starting to see sales soften up a little bit. It's because a lot of that demand was pushed to the beginning, the beginning part of the year. The other question was about uh, rising rates and its effect on on home affordability. Right. So rates have an outsized effect on affordability, even more so than price appreciation at at this point. Right. And so you can see just the marginal increase in interest rates, and it could cause a, a significant decline in in home home ownership affordability. The reason why affordability has declined so sharply uh, recently is because rates have increased sharply. And so we've seen just a, a sharp rise in rates, and that's showing up quite uh, remarkably in, in the, the, the rate of decline in, in, uh, in housing affordability. Right. Well, you know, among the things the Atlanta Fed tracks is, is wages, and we've seen wage growth rising recently. In your view, has that... Uh, had any role on affordability or wages keeping up with prices of houses or how do they tie into each other? Yeah, so you know you have to take wage growth by tier and so you have your top tier earners are experiencing you know some of your professional type jobs are experiencing sharper wage growth than your middle to lower tier earner wage earners. So if you make you get kind of the modern income or middle income or, or lower, you're probably you're not seeing as strong a wage growth as as the top tier, but regardless of the tier you're in, if you look at wage growth and compare it to inflation, inflation is much higher, and so any kind of benefit you're experiencing from higher wages is is being, in in some cases, completely wiped out by by higher inflation, right. and to add to that, home prices uh, are increasing at a faster rate than than wages are, um, regardless of the tier. And so you have the combination of higher home prices and higher inflation that sort of nullifies some of the benefits we're experiencing from uh, from wage growth. Right. Well, um, Dominic, let me get you to address the uh, the supply of homes on the market. Um, has the law of supply and demand kicked in here? In other words, has higher demand resulted in a rush to meet it with new homes? Uh, what's your view on that? So um, there's a lot of lot of different angles you can come at that question. So the, the first, I'll talk about existing home supplies. So those are homes that people who are currently living in those homes that are listing them on the market. So um, existing home supply, typically we want to see somewhere between four to six months of supply. And so uh, months of supply is how many months it would take to absorb the current amount of inventory in the market given the current rate of absorption. Right. So four to six months is considered balanced. Anything above six considered oversupplied. Anything below four is considered undersupplied. Where do we sit now? We're at about 2.1 month supply. Oh, so well below. So it's well below. It, it, was, it was further than that. So at, recently it's dropped below two months of supply nationally. And in some markets particularly some markets in our district, the months of supply is below one month. Wow. And that's why like a market like Tampa has a very low month supply of inventory. And that's one of the reasons why you're seeing sharp uh, home price appreciation in those markets. There just isn't enough inventory. And part of the problem, in my view, is there's so many people who refinance their mortgages at rates 
as low as 3% over the past few years, now rates are up. <laughs> I see you raising your hand. Yes. So now rates are up at 6 There is a complete disincentive for anyone to sell today. I mean, consumers understand that if they, if they sell their home, they have to buy something, and whatever they buy is, number one, is going to be more expensive in terms of price, and then more expensive because of rates. And so people are sort of locked in at low rates because they refinanced, and now because they're not willing to sell, that creates less churn of inventory on the market. So it's one of the reasons why inventory levels are so low. Now, I will say, as we're, we've seen more buyers priced out of market um, because of higher rates, you see uh, we're seeing a low, lower level of demand. And so inventory is starting to, to creep up a little bit. And so, like I mentioned, we were below two months, and now we're a little bit above two months of supply, just given what we know about pending home sales and uh, mortgage originations, both are, are lower, which is a leading indicator to where sales are going to be in the future, then we can anticipate that inventory is going to continue to build. And what that means is that if, if inventory gets to a point where it's oversupplied, then that would create those, that's the situation, um, the condition where you would have downward pressure on price. Remember, an oversupply situation is when the muscle supply is above six. And so right now we're at two. So it, it, it would take a considerable amount of inventory on a market or pretty sharp contraction in demand before we will get in a situation where the housing market is oversupplied and prices will actually decline. What's likely to happen is more inventory on the market will create more moderate price appreciation in, in most cases. And so instead of home prices going up 15, 20%, they may go up you know, five or 10%, which is, which is normal. Um, yeah. So it's sort of the normalization of the market. We're getting out of a, a shortage situation. Supply, if it gets between four to six, it'll be more balanced and um, it creates more moderate price appreciation. I'll mention just briefly on the on the new home side, new home builders are um, still wrestling with supply chain disruptions and, and higher labor costs and higher material costs. And at the same time, you're in a situation where you're not able to push off those costs on consumers. So it's more pushback, more resistance from consumers to pay higher prices given you know higher interest rates and everything else that the consumer is dealing with. So builders over the next year will have to contend with how to manage the more moderation in demand and have to figure out how to offer some incentives to get homes to, to close over the next few months. Um, and they also have the ability to slow the rate of construction to sort of balance some of those in, imbalances that can be created. Um, but it is something that they have to pay uh, pretty close attention to. Just in, in my view, it's, it's difficult to build your way out of a supply shortage situation um, just because the level of new home construction that we would have to have in order to, to bring our supply into balance is more than what we have the capacity to do at the moment. And that's really a byproduct of us not really building enough houses since the last housing crisis. And so we have a lot of building to catch up to um, in order for us to have a, a balanced level of, of supply. Yeah, I often wonder about younger people looking for starter homes and, and you know what, what their supply is like these days. Well, but let me ask you, is it naive of me to think that inventory might build up over time because of affordability declining 
I mean, as you noted, larger inventory means moderating prices, or, or is that sort of, I don't know, pre-pandemic thinking? No, I, I do think that as demand contracts because of lack of affordability, you it is reasonable to expect over time there to be a buildup of inventory. When I say buildup, I don't necessarily mean that inventory will be, will be an oversupply situation, but you know it will create some balances in inventory. Um, as you sort of see a contraction of demand, even if we're not building more houses or if more houses aren't being listed on the market, you just have less less demand to absorb them. And so that creates more balanced supply levels just, just by changing those those factors. Right. Let's talk for a second about the, the lending side of the equation. Um, what has the Fed seen in terms of loan demand, underwriting standards, and so on? Is, is demand remaining strong on that side? Well, we are seeing less demand for, for mortgages, and that's, that's residential mortgages. And you do see that sort of play out in mortgage originations. In terms of underwriting, where there is loosening is in some of your non-QM, that's non-qualified mortgages, as well as um, some of your jumbo categories. And those are typically high net worth individuals that you know banks have you know extended relationships with. And, and so there's a little bit of loosening of terms on, on that end. We haven't seen like subprime, loosening in the subprime categories for some time. So, and I don't see that as, you know, a, an immediate risk. And in terms of LTVs and debt to income ratios and um, FICO scores, they're all pretty high in terms of uh, credit standards, meaning that people getting mortgages now are people that, that are pretty high in the credit box. And if you think about everything we've talked about, Part of the reason for that is your entry-level buyers that uh, tend to have more moderate incomes and maybe weaker credit profiles aren't able to get uh, qualified for a mortgage today simply because the, the rates are higher and, th- and they're being priced out. And so what you're left with is you know people that make higher incomes that tend to have a little bit uh, stronger credit profiles. And as a result, um, the originations we're seeing today are, are, are pretty pretty strong from a credit perspective. But the, the, the downside is, you know, you have a smaller credit box, of a smaller box for, for people that are able to get in homes today just just because it's, it's less affordable. Right. Well, in preparing for our conversation today, you, you pointed me to a story noting that existing home sales have been declining after rising really rapidly during the pandemic. Uh, do you think that what we saw during the pandemic was was a blip, um, historically speaking, and that we'll see a return to more historically average sales of existing homes? Yeah, so I, I think that um, the increase, the rapid increase in sales during the pandemic was a byproduct of several things, but more, most importantly, it was a byproduct of very, very historically low interest rates. So at, at one point, interest rates were around 3%. And that's just an historic low. And so you had a, a, a whole lot of people deciding that this was a time to buy just to take advantage of uh, low rates. And the other, the other driver of demand during the pandemic was, you know, people, social distancing, people wanted, people were spending more time in their homes. So they needed a bigger home. They needed a home that had maybe an office or space for their kids. And so um, there was a high demand for people moving out of, kind of high density urban areas to more suburban areas where they can get more space. 
And so some of those factors were just a byproduct of the pandemic. As we see more people working from home, if that becomes a long-term trend, you know, more and more people would, would, would need to buy homes that actually give them the capacity to work from home. So that may be something that's with us. The, the big factor that was creating that upward trend in home sales was primarily very low rates. And, and so it did pull a lot of demand forward. A lot of people that may have bought this year or next year or a couple years from now bought during the pandemic just to take advantage of those low rates. And the last thing I'll add is, you know, because so it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So low rates created high demand. High demand created a shortage of inventory. A shortage of inventory created greater equity for people. And people who had equity also wanted to extract that equity and invest it in real estate. And so that created even more demand. And so that the, the cycle that we were in just created you know, this feeding effect for, for demand for housing. And, and so now what we're experiencing is sort of the normalization of demand as rates become a little bit more normalized, demand will become more normalized, and you'll see the sales go go back to kind of their historic long-term averages. Right. Well, uh, since you're touching on you know what you see as, as future trends, I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball now and ask you, uh, what do you foresee for housing prices? I, I guess it's too much to expect a decline in prices, but is it more realistic maybe to, to expect a, a slowing of price increases in the uh, near term? Yeah, it's, it's, it's realistic to expect uh, the level of appreciation that we've seen over the past few years to moderate. And that's just a, a factor of less demand, more supply. People, if you're putting your house on the market today, you may not get the, the multiple offers in the bidding wars that you got previously just because they're just the, the buyer pool has shrunk because of the lack of affordability. So what I'm more certain of is that the rate of appreciation will moderate, but I cannot say for certain that there won't be some markets that'll, that may experience a decline in prices. Um, and some markets may not be impacted at, at all. It just depends. And it, it, and it may uh, depend on what submarket you're in as well. Um, some submarkets may see um, more moderate moderation in price appreciation. Some markets may see a, a decline in home prices altogether. Just depends on you know uh, real estate is all location, location, location. So depending on where you are and depending on the dynamics in that market, you may see different trends in home prices. But overall, because the because of the supply level uh, uh, situation nationally, it would take a significant contraction in demand before we see a, a major correction in home prices. And so most analysts that are looking at the, the market today are anticipating more moderate growth and not necessarily price declines. Right. Now, that's a good opportunity for me to refer listeners to your Home Ownership Affordability Monitor, which is a, a tool that you uh, you uh, take care of here at the Atlanta Fed. It does break down you know changes regionally, even by, by city uh, level, so it, it's really interesting to look at. So I, I hope listeners check out our home monitor. And uh, on that note, I want to say this has been such a fascinating conversation, Dominic. And I want to thank you for being our, our guest on the podcast again. And you know, with all the goings on in the housing market, I'm sure I'll be asking you to come back again soon. We'd love to.
So uh, before we say goodbye, I, I do want to note that we'll have a link on the website to the uh, home ownership affordability monitor that I just mentioned. Uh, one of the data tools that Dominic oversees for the uh, Atlanta Fed. It's full of great information and uh, I hope you'll give it a look. And that's all for this episode of the Economy Matters podcast. Again, I'm Tom Heinges, Managing Editor of the, of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. And I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes as they come out. Thanks for being with us today, and we'll look forward to being with you again next episode. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at atlantafed.org.